Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. Are you interested in advertising with the Action Catalyst? Our listeners could be hearing about your brand right here, right now. For details, shoot us an email at info at theactioncatalyst.com. Welcome to the Action Catalyst. And I'm so excited today that we have the chance to talk with Mr. John J. Murphy. John is the CEO of Venture Management Consultants, and that firm helps companies create a lean, high-performance work environment. But as I've learned a bit more about John, he's been about peak performance throughout his entire life. He had the experience of being able to play for Notre Dame football, was a quarterback there, and he's going to share a little bit about some of the lessons that were learned right there. But as a consultant, he has delivered services around the globe to some of the world's leading organizations. It is a who's who of high-performing organizations that have brought him on board. He's also been an educator, and he is a Lean Six Sigma Master Black Belt. And for those that aren't familiar with that, it is a grueling and arduous certification process of learning and application and exam after exam to be able to then help companies and individuals to really, really grow. He's worked not only with firms in the business field, but he's also worked with military leaders. He's worked with athletes. He's a professional speaker as well, delivering keynotes and seminars all across the world. He's shared the stage with people like General Norman Schwarzkopf, Zig Ziglar, Dennis Waitley, Rocky Blyer, and Anthony Robbins. One of the most interesting things is that he focuses on not just peak performance, but also transformational leadership with the foundation of healthy mind, body, spirit integration. He's been in over 400 radio and TV stations, featured in over 50 newspapers around the world. He's also a prolific author, some 19 books so far, numerous articles, and some of them are going to continue to grow, and he will continue adding to that list. The endorsers include an ambassador to Italy, a general, a four-time Super Bowl champion. These are people that are completely sold on what John Murphy has to share. He also has been deeply involved in the corporate world himself as Director of Human Resources for Polstra, which is an international automotive division of Hutchinson in Paris, France. So he understood operational excellence from an implementation standpoint, not just an advice standpoint, and made a magnificent impact and significant culture change. So we're very excited that he could spend a little bit of time with us today. So, John, welcome to the Action Catalyst. Thanks, Dan. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Well, it's wonderful to have you here. We would love it if you wouldn't mind starting with a bit of a bit of autobiography, some of the major pivots that happened earlier in your life that, as you look back on them, had a significant impact on the the contribution you've been able to make to people's lives today. Sure. Yeah. Well, I kind of laugh about this, Dan, but uh, to begin with, I was born on a Friday the thirteenth. My last name, <laughs> yeah, my last name is Murphy, as in Murphy's Law. I think a lot of people know that that old law that if anything could go wrong, it will at the worst possible moment. And mm-hmm. uh, I had two near-death experiences by the age of three. So when you start to put that together, going way, 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 way back, I'm 58 years old now, uh, there, there were some downloads into my mind, into my subconscious mind that were uh, kind of doomsday, very gray. You know, I, started, I had grew up with a lot of doubts, a lot of uh, 
really worries and concerns. And, uh, you know, you mentioned that I played football at Notre Dame. I, I was told in high school I could never play football again because I ran my foot through a lawnmower. Uh, in one of my early businesses, I started a landscaping company. And after uh, six days in the, in the hospital and multiple surgeries, and they reconstructed my foot, uh, a world-renowned uh, orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Al Swanson, said, uh, sorry, son, but your football days are over. So you talk about a pivot point. There's one right there. And, uh, you know, I'm laying in the hospital, I'm crying, I'm weeping, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm devastated. And uh, my grandfather, my mother's father sent me a book and it was, a, it was called On Courage by Frank Gifford. It featured a bunch of athletes who had overcome adversity. And I was uh, particularly interested in a story about Rocky Blyer, who happened to also go to Notre Dame uh, before I did. And uh, long story short, Rocky left uh, Notre Dame and, and was drafted late by the Pittsburgh Steelers. But before I ever played for the Steelers, he ended up in Vietnam where he was severely wounded with shrapnel in his foot and gunfire and his hamstring and things like that. And uh, he was told, you're never playing football again. Now, I'm now mesmerized by reading this book. By the way, it might be the first book I ever actually read cover to cover because I wasn't that into reading books at the time. And now I'm writing all these books. But anyway, I, uh, I was completely inspired by that story. Uh, about Rocky. And I just remember deciding right there, I'm not done yet. And uh, a couple years later, I'm tapping that sign at uh, Notre Dame that says, play like a champion today. And uh, to fast forward, several years later, I'm, uh, I'm actually on stage with Zig Ziglar and Rocky Blyer at a, at a motivational uh, seminar. And I told Rocky that story. He'd, we'd never met before. And uh, he was very gracious and asked if I'd introduce him to, this was to about 1,500, 2,000 people. And uh, so you talk about a little synchronicity. Uh, wow. Uh, it was just an awesome experience for me. Mm-hmm. Powerful. Well, now at Notre Dame, which, of course, is, is time-honored, it's respected, it's known around the world for its excellence in so many ways, academic as well as athletic. What were some of the lessons that you learned from those amazing coaches and others that were around you? And how did that help after that move into the, the business world? Yeah, well, in one word, this is something I actually learned this from originally from my high school coach um, as I was a quarterback. So I learned the word poise. And, uh, you know, at the time, I wasn't really sure what that meant. But poise essentially is about um, quiet self-confidence and a sense of inner peace. So I use this metaphor a lot today when I speak to, to, to crowds is, is that uh, – you know, each day we wake up and we don't know really what's going to happen. And it's a lot like a quarterback walking up to a line of scrimmage. You know, we have a play call and we've been practicing all week and we've been learning about the, the team that we're playing and we have a game plan and all that stuff. Uh, but the truth is when that ball is hiked, you don't know what's going to happen. And that's really a metaphor for life I've discovered is that uh, we don't know what's going to happen from day to day. So how do we approach the day? Do we approach it with poise? Do we approach it with grace? We approach it, approach it with humility and an open mind and an, an ability to, to pivot and improvise and adapt. Of course, in football, we call that scrambling, <laughs> run for your life. But uh, if, if we can't adjust, make adjustments uh, during the day and during the, you know, the business uh, cycle, if you will, because I've, I've started several businesses um, and I've heard your, your past guests talk about zigzagging and things like that. So... Uh, we have to be able to uh, to improvise and adjust because the the world's uncertain, especially today. And we've got to learn to be creative, and and, and we've got to be you know certainly able to work as a team. I've written quite a few books about teamwork, 
Um, but boy, if we try to approach it by ourselves and with a know-it-all, I can figure this out, I can do it, you know, kind of ego approach, uh, we're doomed. It really takes a team effort. It takes an open mind uh, to, 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 to be creative and to be able to po- uh, act with poise and grace and, and, and humility. Mm-hmm. Well, adjusting and improvising is not the same as just randomly going in a million directions at once. You, you must have some kind of anchors that you keep in mind when a situation has sort of blown up in your face and you're having to get creative. Oh, absolutely. You know, vision is one of the first things I, I talk to my clients about is what is your what is your shared vision? Is it shared to begin with? Because a lot of times people see different pictures, if you will, of the of the future. But when we have a shared vision, it's a lot like shining uh, sunlight through a, a, mic, a you know magnifying glass. You know, we can start a fire. When we when we have a shared vision and we've got a, 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 a capable, competent team all focusing on one thing, this is what we're going to uh, do. This is where we're going to be a year from now, two years from now, five years from now. That tr- creates tremendous power and energy. So uh, you've got to have that, that vision. You can't have a, a scattered mind, so to speak, where you're thinking about a thousand things at once, like you said, but you've got to have a very clear vision. And then you've got to have a strategy on how to... Uh, uh, you know, manifest that vision? How do we turn that vision into a reality? And so what, you know, what steps do we need to take and, and, and how, do, how do all the, the points fit together and connect and how do we connect the dots? And then we get into the tactics, of course. But, but a lot of problems uh, that companies have and entrepreneurs have is they, they get so caught up in the weeds, so to speak, in the tactics that the, the strategy isn't any good and the vision isn't clear. So it's very important, you know, that the vision is clear, that there's a very competent strategy that pieces everything together uh, intelligently. And then there's tactical execution and operational excellence, the things we have to do to make sure that, you know, that we, we dot the, the I's and cross the T's, et cetera. Right. So true. Now, along this path, John, you talk a lot about the mind, body, spirit, health, and how important it is that those all be working in synchronization. Um, can, can you share a little bit about how you came to that realization and some practical things that you apply in your own personal life to, to work with mind, body, spirit appropriately? Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I grew up uh, uh, in, in the Catholic faith and, uh, you know, went up to a Catholic university, but I always was, I was very curious about what's beyond, you know, what's 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 beyond that? What's what's beneath some of these teachings? So I, I started studying uh, the Buddha, and I studied a lot with uh, Lao Tzu and the Tao Te Ching, and I was very interested in in one word in the word flow, because that's what mm. the Tao is all about. The the, the Tao spelled T A O. The Tao is all about flow. There's a great current of life flowing through through us and through the world, and when we get in harmony with that flow. I like to say, let go to let flow. And we get out of our own way, so to speak, because we tend to get in our own way. And uh, we let go of that ego, that, that idea of separation. And, uh, you know, I know it all and, and I'm in control. And control is really nothing but an illusion. So we have to be very conscious of what we can actually control, if anything, and, and, and what's beyond that. And we get into harmony with flow. We get in harmony and balance with the Tao. Uh, amazing things happen. And uh, so I've, you know, I've leveraged that throughout my career. I teach it now. And in fact, you know, the British Parliament's teaching meditation techniques. I know, Dan, that your wife teaches yoga. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Google's got the Search Inside Yourself um, initiative, which is, is very about mindful leadership. And, and, and so mindful leadership is becoming increasingly important, especially as the world seems to get more stressed. And uh, I, I, I'm out in front of that. You know, I wrote a book a few years ago called Zentrepreneur. What do you get when you combine Zen with action and entrepreneurship? 
you know, mm-hmm. that whole mind-body experience. So I think it's very important that we be mindful. And that's my, another word for mindfulness is self-awareness. But self-awareness can mean one of two things, little small s self, ego, or capital S self, spirit. So, you know, we use the word inspiration a lot. And what does that really mean? When we are in spirit, when we are inspired, we're fearless. We're free. We feel amazing. I mean, it, nothing concerns us, whether it's a, in a relationship with somebody that we're inspired about or it's a passionate business idea. But it just, you, you could actually feel the flow coming through us. And you talk about going through brick walls and things like that. Um, Man, that's, that's what inspiration is all about. And it's very different than motivation. You know, a lot of people talk about motivation, but motivation is really more about external factors that we want. You know, we want to, we're motivated by a paycheck or we're motivated by a job title or, a, you know, a, we're going to get a better house or a better car. You know, that, that's motivation. But inspiration comes from within us. It's, it's, it's the reason we're here on the planet. And it's, it's some, some might refer to it as a calling. That's why I went into my business 30 years ago to begin with. It was more a calling. It didn't make any logical sense at all at the time, quite honestly. It's what led me into writing and teaching and speaking to groups around the world is it's, it's a calling. It's, an, it's, it's a way for me to share the gifts I've been given with the world to make it a better place. And at the end of the day, that's why we're all here. Well, ideally, that's why we're all here, right? We've got it to is why we're all here. Out. It is why it we're is. here. <laughs> There's no question about uh, it. Well, when I say ideally, it's difficult for some people to really think that through when they're caught up in the day-to-day. Exactly. You know, too many bills, too much pressure, uh, relationships falling apart. Yep. How, would you, how would you advise somebody that has got multiple pressures on them at the same time, and yet they want to fulfill a life vision, they want to be a difference maker in the world, but the weeds are so high, the thorns are so sharp, uh, what are some initial steps, some sort of one, two, threes you'd advise people to take? Well, there's. Uh, I wrote a book called Beyond Doubt, Four Steps to Inner Peace. And the four steps are let be, let go, let see, and let flow. The let be phase is be mindful, be present. You know, the only time we're stressed, whenever we're feeling stressed, we're not present. Because we are projecting something negative onto the future. Uh-oh, I'm going to screw up this... Uh, project I'm working on, or I'm going to fail. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fumble the ball. I'm going to, I'm going to make a mistake. Somebody's going to get mad at me. Whenever we're stressed, I'm going to fail this exam. Whenever we're stressed, we're projecting something negative and it's all about assumptions. Why would you assume that you're going to fail? Why, if you're going to assume anything, why don't you assume you're going to be successful? But the subconscious mind for, in most cases with people is so buried with negativity you know, it's all over us. It's, it's, it's in the media. It's in the news every night. There's just there's drama, drama, drama. So we, we feed on this negativity and then it just it finds its way into the subconscious mind, which run, runs 95% of our daily life, only 5% of the time, roughly. And this is great research from people like Dr. Bruce Lipton. Uh, only about 5% of the time are we actually present. The mind is jumping around all the time. In fact, on average, we don't stay present for more than about 10 or 11 seconds. And then we're off to what we have to do tomorrow or what happened last week. So step one, let be, is be present, be mindful, be aware. And I'll give you, tell you a quick story, uh, Dan, and this is a very personal story, but maybe it, it, it will help and it makes some sense to some people. Um, mm-hmm. About 10 years ago, uh, after a 26-year wonderful marriage, as far as I'm concerned, four great kids, my, my ex-wife decided she wanted to go another way. And it just, it was like getting punched in the stomach. It, it hurt. And uh, I get served with these papers and I just, I was blown away. 
And uh, so I, I move into this little apartment. I, I called it my fortress of solitude. And I, I you know, I left a, a, a 8,000 square foot mansion with all kinds of toys and things like that. And I'm now I'm in this little apartment and uh, I get a phone call that night. By the way, I'm surrounded all over my living room floor are, are legal papers, you know, and financial statements and things like this. And, you know, I've got to go through this, le- you know, legal divorce process and so I've got all this stuff spread out. I had every reason in the world to be completely gloomy and doubtful and, you know, what you, you, you mentioned before. And uh, instead, I turned on some music and I started dancing. And my phone rang and it was my older sister. And uh, she said, what are you doing? And the first thing that came out of my mouth is I'm dancing. She said, you're dancing? Who are you dancing with? I said, nobody, just me. Listening mm-hmm. to some great music. I, I lit a couple of candles and uh, I was dancing. She goes, oh, I wish I could do that. And, you know, she's got some doom and gloom of her own to deal with. We all do. And I said, well, you can. Here's what you do. Light a couple of candles, turn some good music on and dance. Listen, you know, and, and just and get into let let be. And that's the let go. Let go of all the crap that you're, you're carrying around, all the emotional baggage and be present. And here's the thing. If you understand the law of attraction, and I know some of your guests have referenced it. Um, the law of attraction is we reap what we sow. You know, whatever energy we're putting out into the world is what we reap back. So if we're putting out an energy of gloom and misery, you know, it's the old saying, misery loves company. If we're putting out a a feeling of lack, you know, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough. I don't have a good relationship. I, 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 you know, I don't like my body or whatever people are thinking. If they're not conscious and mindful of what they're thinking and they're putting out that energy. By the way, this energy is measurable now. There's a great company out of uh, California called the HeartMath Institute. And they have a software. I use it all the time in some of my lectures. And it measures your, what's called your heart coherence. If you're putting out a, a, a gloomy, miserable vibe, guess what you're calling back into your life? More of the same. So knowing this, and this is the single most important thing I teach my children, knowing the law of attraction, knowing that you reap what you sow, knowing that this isn't some theory, but it's, 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 a, it's proven science, knowing that you pay darn close attention every single day to the vibe that you put out because it's coming back. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, I, you know, that's hard for some people to swallow, but it's, it's, it's a universal law and it's extremely powerful. Right. Well, what's really significant about your story, and thank you so much for sharing, because that's an incredibly personal, intimate experience that you went through, is that you took some physical action. You didn't just sit there surrounded by the legal papers and in your thoughts and start brooding even more deeply. Physical action, because that does so much to help unleash the proper sense of emotion. So dancing, listening to music, lighting the candle, something that you could control very directly. Very impressive. Exactly. And that's what's, that's what's meant by being mindful and present and, and, and making choice. You know, we have, to, we, we have an opportunity to make choices every day. So what do we choose? Essentially positive or negative? And, and right. no matter how gloomy situations might be, you know, I go back to when I'm laying in the hospital and my foot is all torn apart. Okay, what, what choices do we make? Do we feel sorry for ourselves? Do we choose a victim consciousness? Oh, poor me. What was me? You know, it's the other person's fault. Maybe I should file a lawsuit or, you know, and and that's a very common temptation. Or do we take charge and take responsibility and say, you know what, there's a lesson in this and I'm going to learn from it and I'm going to grow from it. And uh, boy, once I'm on the other side of it, um, I'm going to be a different person, so to speak. 
I'm not going to be this, uh, you know, Eeyore on Winnie the Pooh, you know, this sad sack donkey. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's absolutely true. Um, Well, I'm I'm sure at various times over your careers, you've built your businesses, you've had some some walls that looked like they were unscalable, um, bricks solid, you couldn't see around them, couldn't see under them. Um, what have you developed over the years as, as effective ways to think when you when you hit something like that, both think and then act? Yeah, well, I've hit a lot, a lot of walls. I've, I've, I've shared a couple of them with you already, just the foot accident and the, and the divorce. But you know, going back to the business, I started my business just uh, 30, 31 and a half years ago. I was 28 years old. I started it because I, uh, I basically had lost my job. The company I was working for was, uh, uh, was sold. And uh, there were a number of uh, senior level people given uh, exit papers. And uh, you know, I had a, a, a reasonable severance, but it didn't give me a whole lot of time. I'm 28 years old. My wife is pregnant with our second child. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of money in savings. So it was certainly not the, uh, the best time to start a, a, a business from scratch. But like I said, it was a, almost like a calling. It was something that I was just, uh, my, my intuition was saying, you need to do this. And I, so I started this company with two other guys, two, two other investors. Both of them left within six months. So that's a pretty solid brick wall. And uh, I, I didn't know quite what to do. So do I, do I just throw in the chips, you know, fold them, so to speak, uh, or uh, do, I, do I pivot? And I don't know, you love to use that word pivot. And I chose to pivot. And so I also adopted a different paradigm. So rather than a push paradigm, which we're all familiar with, you know, sell, 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 push, 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 come up with a value proposition and push it on the market and offer discounts and incentives and things like that. I adopted a pull model, which is very consistent with uh, Lean Six Sigma. You know, it's all about uh, pull. Amazon is brilliant at pull. And I've Mm -hmm. been supplying Amazon since since the 80s um, with books. I can tell you that story another time. It's just, it's a phenomenal story about pull. You know, we're not going to buy anything from you until we need it. And uh, so I started to think about, well, how do I get, instead of me knocking on my customers' doors, how do I get them to knock on mine? And so I created a seminar and I, and I offered this seminar uh, initially at a local university and uh, it was just a little half day seminar on, on pulling together and, and motivating people and, and, uh, on paper, it didn't make any sense at all because I didn't make any money at it initially. But after the very first one, I got two clients out of it. They said, hey, would you come on site and, and, and teach us this stuff uh, on site? Absolutely. I got evaluations back that said this, it was wonderful. But meanwhile, I'd asked a, uh, a university uh, professor, a friend of mine that worked for the school to, to sit in on it if, if she would and, and give me a feedback. And I'll never forget this, Dan, because at the end of the uh, at the end of the, the the workshop, I asked her, I said, you know, so, so tell me what you thought. She said, do you want to know the truth? <laughs> <laughs> you know, when somebody responds to that, you're like, oh, this could hurt, you know, another brick wall. And she said, you know, she gave me some very constructive feedback, you know, but I was used to the, a lecture approach because that's what I'd learned at university. And that's what, you know, I was always lectured to by by parents and teachers and professors and whatnot. So essentially it was a half a day lecture. And she said, I think you can make it a lot more interactive. And she suggested I go to a seminar over in Chicago, uh, which cost, uh, you know, four or five hundred bucks at the time. This is back in 1988. 
And I didn't have that kind of money and, you know, to travel to Chicago. But you know what I did? And by the way, the point of this is that I could have said, you know what, I really don't need that advice, you know, because I got two clients out of this and I got good scores and I have all these reasons to believe I did a really good job. And, you know, let the ego kind of interfere, get in my own way, so to speak. But instead, I said, you know what, um, maybe I should try to attend this. And by the way, I, I went to it and I learned some fascinating things. And it, it, it put me in a whole different level of, uh, you know, of uh, consulting and teaching. It's, it's, uh, I've had people all over the world tell me that I've been the best teacher they've ever had. And it's because of stuff I learned in that seminar over in Chicago, something I could have easily said no to. So, you know, we hit these walls. Uh, we, we, you know, we hear no a lot. We're not interested. The timing isn't right. I call them the yeah, buts. I have a whole chapter called yeah, but in the book's entrepreneur. We, yeah, but you know, this isn't a good time. Yeah. But you don't, you don't have the right, you know, skills. Yeah. But, 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 and, mm -hmm. uh, Overcoming that resistance, overcoming that negativity and getting back into that positive flow, getting back into the Tao, if you will, is what uh, is, is it's what I would say is if there's one secret to success, that's what it is for me. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds also, John, like it's characterized by keeping the vision in mind and, and gradually moving toward it, even if it's just one step at a time. But also coachability to take the advice of somebody, despite the fact that you had one, two clients out of that event because you truly wanted to be able to deliver a better service and then that investment in yourself. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and I've heard other guests of yours uh, talk about the importance of listening and keeping an open mind. You know, I never intended to write a book. In fact, I, my English teacher in high school would have laughed if she, if she found out that uh, I've got 19 books written now and a 20, 20th coming out next year. But the, uh, uh, it was an idea. Somebody said to me, you know, you really ought to write, you know, write a book. And uh, I'd written a workbook for my workshops, which had now gone national, by the way. That, that original workshop that I offered was now, I was doing it in Los Angeles and New York and Boston and Atlanta and such and Chicago. So I, uh-huh, uh you know, I never really thought about writing a book. I don't, I don't know how to do that. My, one of my sisters, I've got four sisters. One of my sisters said to me, uh, here, and she loaned me a book called How to Get Happily Published by Judith Applebaum. I can still remember this. This was, you know, almost 30 years ago. I read that book. I read a book on how to write a book. Let's put it that way. Right. <laughs> so I've been a self-learner my whole life, Dan. Um, it, and uh, in these days, there's just absolutely no excuses for people to not be a self-learner because it's free. You know, I have over 200 um, uh, free YouTube clips on all kinds of useful tips and things like that on, on my YouTube channel. Uh, there's just tons of, you know, I've, I've been uh, tapping into your podcasts and, and, and so many others. There's just so much valuable information out there. By the way, you know, when I started my company, there was no internet available to us. There was no cell phones, things like that. So I'm, I was literally buying books and, and driving around with cassette tapes in my car listening to, you know, Zig Ziglar and Anthony Robbins and folks like that and Dennis Waitley and learning everything I possibly could. And, and I believe it's, it's very valuable. Why not? If you're sitting in traffic, why not, you know, sit in a, a positive productive zone rather than just sit there and honk the horn. <laughs> mm -hmm. Honking the horn is, uh, supposed to be some kind of a release, but all it is is an amplification and it intensifies the stresses. Yeah, well, you're making the problem worse. You're not helping. Well, that is that is so true. Well, from what you've described, you are multiple people, it seems, all walking around in the same body. How do you <laughs> how do you prioritize, John, when you're when you're looking at a week or looking at a month? 
because we know that Covey advised us to put first things first, put the big rocks in first. Yep. But be, being an author, a seminar leader, a business leader, a family leader, um, your personal development, your spiritual life, uh, any tips on just prioritizing or structuring your day? particularly the start of the day, because everything begins there. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, I, for, for many, many years now, a couple decades, uh, I start every morning with, with uh, about a 20 to 30 minute meditation. To me, mm -hmm. it's just absolutely, you know, we, we're, we're accustomed to taking showers and brushing our teeth and things like that. A lot of people are in the morning, um, which is a physical cleansing, so to speak. But what about a, a mental and emotional cleansing? So I, I go into a, and I use a, a variety of different uh, meditation techniques. Uh, the one I use every morning happens to be a Taoist technique. Um, but uh, I, I start every day with meditation and, and I'm guided then in the meditation on, on what the priorities for the day are. So a uh, part of getting out of my own way is not having this ego agenda of, you know, by the way, I did, I used to, <laughs> got to do this, got to do that. I got to, you know, check all these boxes uh, and I still have goals every day. You know, I, I, I am very into uh, fitness and exercise and, and yoga and uh, and things like that. My wife and I do Zumba, uh, which is a dance exercise class. Uh, so I'm very and very into my my uh, one of my daughters. My youngest daughter is a registered dietitian. So I've and for many years I've been into uh, nutrition and natural health. And and I go to conferences coast to coast and speak at some of these conferences, meeting a lot of uh, people uh, who are gifted in, in the field of, of whole body health and well-being. So it isn't just physical and nutrition, it's, it's mental and exercise. So I, I keep all of this in mind. I keep certainly things like the law of attraction in mind. And I have positive intentions for every day. So I start the day with, with, with my intentions. What are my intentions for the day? Um, I keep it simple. I'd say one of my secrets uh, to success, so to speak, is the old keep it simple uh, principle. Um, I love this quote from Einstein. Einstein said that any intelligent fool can make things bigger and more complex. It takes a touch of genius and a lot of courage to move in the opposite direction. I use that quote a lot because everywhere I go, especially larger companies, they've just complicated the heck out of stuff. People, you know, uh, it, it takes 10 steps and 10 people to do something that should be done in 10 minutes. You know, and so and that's part of lean. You know, when we teach, when I go in and teach lean, it's it's about stripping out all the unnecessary stuff and focusing on what really matters. I'll give you a quick metaphor what that means for, you know, some of your audience might appreciate this. This is right out of one of my workshops. But if you imagine being on the couch, uh, let's just say 10, 15 years ago, and you want to watch a movie that's not on television, think about the process you had to use. Well, step right. one, you get off the couch. Step two, go find your keys. Step three, drive down the street to, to Blockbuster Video or, or whatever. Step four, browse the shelves and you may, you'll find the movie you want to watch. And you, and you come all the way back and you pop the thing in the machine. Maybe you say a little prayer that hope it works and you sit down and you watch the movie. Now, in, in terms of lean, we can time that whole process. We can map it out on a chart with all the different steps. We can you know, label what's value added and what's non-value added and blah, 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 blah. And we could, maybe we could figure out a way to get to the store a little faster and a little, a little more economically and maybe to, and come up with all these little improvements, you know, continuous improvements. But at the end of the day, the entire process is a form of waste. And so you've got, you know, guys like Jeff Bezos and people challenging these, these, these old process mindsets saying, um, well, how could we watch the movie without ever leaving the couch? 
How could we read the book without, you know, ever leaving the our airplane seat? We just download it from thin air onto the, you know, the airplane seat. And now we've got Kindle and now we've got, uh, you know, on demand and, and Netflix and all these things. And where's Blockbuster these days? Of course, they're long gone. So the idea is, you know, what behaviors, especially a lot of these repetitive, almost unconscious behaviors are we going through day after day after day that are just a complete waste of time? How often do you hear people say, I don't have time? You know, you mentioned Covey, you know, and the whole idea of, you know, what's urgent and what isn't and what's important and what isn't. A lot of the important stuff never gets done because we think we don't think we have enough time. And I like to remind mm-hmm. people that we have 24 hours a day and it's been that way for quite a while. <laughs> so yeah, we all have the same amount. So really it's not about time at all. It's about priorities. So I, you know, I start each day being very clear about what are my, my intentions and my priorities, what's really important and um, how can I get rid of the rest of the stuff, the stuff that's just come, you know, a, a, a nuisance. Mm-hmm. I think that is so critically important and very, very helpful, John starting the day by, first of all, going inward with meditation. Uh, People can do that through prayer. They can do that through going for a walk, being outside a little bit, but also bringing positive intentions into the day. Uh, The Bible advises us that as a person thinks in their heart, so are they. Mm -hmm. And so to think that way first carries that positivism into the day, which is such a good thing. Yeah, well, there's a wonderful little model, and I, I use this in one of my workshops. Is if you think about the seven chakras of the body, the seven energy centers, and you know, there's ancient ancient wisdom about this, the seven chakras. There's there's three upper chakras, three lower chakras, and the center chakra, which is your heart chakra. The three upper mm-hmm. chakras are basically, uh, you know, your thinking, and the the three lower ones are essentially your emotions, and the heart chakra is basically your feeling the vibe that you put out. So when we combine our logic, our thinking, our reasoning with the emotions that are driving those thoughts, is that essentially there's two basic emotions. There's love and there's fear. What's So the good question to ask is what's driving me? Am I fear-based? Am I fear-driven or am I love-driven? Big, big, big difference there. But whatever, when we combine all of that, what's coming out is a feeling and it's coming out as a vibration through our heart, which like I said, from the HeartMath Institute is now very measurable. And you can measure the different frequencies of, uh, of shame and guilt and anger and fear and doubt and pride. You can measure all this stuff and right on all the way up to enlightenment. Great work by Dr. David Hawkins, the late David Hawkins, uh, has done some great work on something called the map of consciousness. But if you, you if you understand that every feeling you emit has a, an energetic frequency to it and that you're going to attract people into your life, you're going to attract situations into your life, uh, jobs, clients, customers. By the way, there's going to be some who run from you because they're, they're – think of it this way uh, – Dan, you, you, you sit in your car and you turn the radio on and, and there's a song playing that you just can't stand, you know, a, a certain genre that's just not your vibe. So you, you turn the channel to something that, that's more suitable to you. Guess what? What you're listening to and what you really uh, relate well to, somebody else doesn't like. And what they like, mm-hmm. you don't like. So there's just two different frequencies. So one of the secrets, mm-hmm. if you will, uh, that I... Uh, believe is so important is that when you know what frequency you want to be at the deepest level, 
I want to, you know, so when I talk about positive intentions, I get up every day. I want to be loving and kind and compassionate and helpful. I want to focus on making the world a better place, whether that's a, a, a grocery clerk, uh, you know, at the store or a bank teller, or it's the mail, mail person. I, it doesn't matter. Every single person I'm going to come in contact with today is uh, I'm going to do what I can to make, a, to put a smile on their face. If that's your intention for the day, and that's the vibe you put out. Just watch what unfolds. It's remarkable. Well, what unfolds is eventually a, a very small ripple that can grow into a wave and then eventually a tsunami of good feeling. Mm -hmm. It's all about paying forward and modeling it from the very beginning. Yeah. And it's, it's right back to the great line from Gandhi, which is be the change you want to see in the world. Don't plan for tomorrow. Well, tomorrow I'll be that. Or next week I'm going to, I'm going to build that into my 2019 plan. Be it. Right now. Absolutely right. <laughs> you know, I, I, go to, I go into companies and some of these are, are gigantic companies and you know, they, want, they, they, they hire me to come in and help change culture, which is the way we do things around here, which is also synonymous with the way we see things and the way we um, think and the way we just process things, the way we solve problems. So I, I'm, I'm brought in to change culture and it's usually to, to take a really complicated, dysfunctional, slow culture that's just grown like Einstein set up, you know, into insanity, into a lean, high performance type, you know, where things just really flow. So now we can watch the movie without leaving our couch rather than going through umpteen steps that don't add any value whatsoever. So, you know, I'm asked to go in and, and, and do this. And, uh, you know, a lot of people initially uh, see it as, as something to be afraid of. Mm hmm. But when they start participating in, in what, what are called Kaizen events, Kaizen is a Japanese term. It's actually two words made into one, Kai, which is to take apart and make new, and Zen, which is to, you know, think health, well-being, positive balance, harmony. So when you put, you know, put, when you do a Kaizen, you're taking a process apart, like that little example I gave you just watching a movie, you know. Take, map it, take it apart, dissect it, analyze it, put it back together again in a much more innovative, creative, flowing type way. Um, that takes a week, not years. Some of these big companies, oh, it takes you years and years and years to change culture. Uh, give me a week. Now, I'm not saying to change the entire corporate culture in a week, but it's, it's modeling Gandhi's line, be the change. So we change culture, whether it's a small company or a large company, by immediately modeling the new behavior, whatever it is we want. We don't plan it for, you know, the year 2023 because we think it's going to take that long. That's just a belief. That's just a paradigm. Let's start changing it right now. I remember, I won't mention the company by name, but this is one of the largest companies in the, in the United States. And uh, I went in and I, I, I did an executive training session for like the top 12 people. And then I said, downstairs, we're running a Kaizen event. I'd like you to come down and, and take a look at what's, what's going on. Uh, but a couple of rules. Number one, uh, they're not going to give you a chair to sit down in. Number two, they're not going to show you a single PowerPoint. Okay. Number three, you cannot interrupt them for 20 minutes. You've got to keep your mouth shut for 20 minutes while they tell you the story. Number four, they're going to uh, give you facts and data that's indisputable. So if you want to challenge anything they tell you, you have to have facts and data to dispute it. Boy, that really shuts a lot of people up. I'll tell you what. So they went down there and uh, later on, the, the CEO of this company said to me, I, I, I was blown away. In fact, he went and got, got a couple of board members to, to come to visit and, and see what we were doing. Because all over the walls were maps and charts and graphs of how screwed up things were currently being done. 
And, uh, and the team was coming up with better ways to, to, you know, lean out a bunch of non-value-added activity at steps and waste and delays and, you know, duplications and complexities that weren't necessary. And, uh, but immediately the senior team felt a difference with it because that's not the way we typically approach problems in this company. We, we sit down and we sit in meetings we, you know, we, we look at a uh, hundred PowerPoints and we, you know, we, we talk about, okay, well, we'll meet again next week and we'll talk about it some more. And meanwhile, so-and-so is going to go get some more data and, uh, uh-uh. no, we're going to, we're going to be the change. Mm-hmm. Start at the top, be the change, act it and show mm-hmm. it because people, people respond to what they see, particularly from leadership. And unfortunately they tend to do much more of what we do wrong and then much less of what we do right. So we better do a whole lot right. Yeah, that's right. And a lot of people have a, a misconception of change. How, many, how often have you heard Dan, that people say, oh yeah, people naturally resist change. Yeah, I hear that all the time. The truth is, no, they don't. Right. You're changing right now without even trying. Your body is changing. We change our minds. Human beings are designed for change. We're, we're, we're constantly changing. Try not growing old. <laughs> so that's just a complete misconception to begin with. So the idea isn't that we resist change. If anything, we resist pain. We resist things that we think are going to hurt. And that's just instinctive. So what if the change is going to be positive? What if the change is going to feel good? What if the change is going to make things a lot better around here? Then you, you talk about motivation and inspiration. Wow. And I think that's what drives every entrepreneur. They're certainly not afraid of change because they're making it. But they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're approaching it because they've got a, a vision of something better. Whatever it is, you know, we, you know whatever it is, we're going we're gonna to offer something that makes people's lives better. And that's how do you, you know, how do you compete with that? Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. John, I can't believe how quickly this time has gone. It's just magnificent. And the things that you shared with your humility, with your grace, um, you're modeling exactly what I hope to become more in my own life. So as a student of you today, I want to speak for all of our audience to say thank you for your generosity of spirit and for being a difference maker. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, I'll I'll come back anytime. I, I, I love sharing what I can to help make this world a better place. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.